Yeah, so I am trying to recover. I spent the whole weekend sleeping. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host for today. Uh, yes, you know me. In, in, if you don't know me, um, my friends call me Todd. Todd Conklin. That's my name. So it's a fun podcast today. I think you're going to like it. Um, this has been a it's, it's an interesting ride. Today we're going to tackle the nefarious safety culture word because it's a really interesting term that is getting weaponized. No, that's not true. It's not getting weaponized. It's been weaponized for a long time. In fact, I often wonder if we don't substitute the word safety culture for blame the worker. But that's getting a little ahead of myself because we're going to have a big, long discussion about this with a person who's spent pretty much his entire career, certainly his academic career, thinking about that very topic, safety culture, and, and how it fits together. And that sort of leads me to the introduction for this podcast. So I went and did an a international conference on safety culture in, uh, in the Maritimes in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which if you haven't been there, uh, and and I don't work for the Chamber of Commerce, but I wish I did. It's a it's a must go place. You, you know, that place was crazy fun, and the conference was really interesting. Uh, several hundred, pretty big conference, three fifty or four hundred people, um, and everybody kind of thinking about safety in a in a bunch of ways. But it was really interesting. It was kind of transportation centric. A lot of rail people and um, and a lot of transportation, maritime that kind of stuff. And, and they talked a lot about safety culture. The conference was put together by by a, um, a gentleman named Professor Mark Fleming, who's at St. Mary's University in Halifax. So Halifax has, uh, it, there must be three or four big universities, but there are two sort of monsters in Canada. There's Dalhousie, and there, in fact, is, uh, is St. Mary's. And it was fun to hang out. And the reason I did this conference is because Jim Barker, who's at Dalhousie, uh, and Mark Fleming, who's at St. Mary's, got together and sort of uh, strong-armed me into, into going to Halifax. It's kind of hard to get there from where I live, but it was completely worth it. The food was amazing. I probably had the best lobster roll I've had in my entire life. Yeah, I think I just did a quick stock take. Yes, I think it was the best lobster roll I've had. It didn't have mayonnaise. You know when you order lobster rolls, you basically get a lot of mayonnaise and celery and then like a faint hint of lobster. Like lobster used to be here like that. This was quite – it was all lobster with no mayonnaise. It kind of had a light, I don't know, kind of a, a vinaigrette or something on it. It was delicious, but I shouldn't talk about food that much. But it is lunchtime, so I'm sort of fixated by that. This podcast I think you'll find – Really interesting. I ask pretty hard questions because I could because Mark's got a – he's an academic. He's a scholar and he thinks about safety culture, safety climate. So he doesn't have a lot of emotional investment in in what these words mean. And, and that's a really great opportunity for us, at least on the pod, to really dig deep into some pretty hard questions. And, and I think I hit most of the ones – I should have hit. You can write me an email and correct me if we want more. I'm pretty sure Mark will gladly be back on. Now, the podcast has got – he drops out a little bit because he's using Skype by phone, and uh, that's probably the less uh, 
the the probably the least effective way to use Skype for a podcast like this. But I, I think it's okay. I'll try to fix the ones I can. But I think you'll be able to figure out pretty nicely how it works and and what Mark's got to say. Mark's got a long long career. Um, and he he pretty much knows everybody. And he got in really early with the high reliability people. Uh, he studied with Rona. He's he's worked a lot with Carl Wyke. But he's kind of stayed on the safety side. And I love how he talks about culture in in ways that we probably all ought to be talking about culture. Sort of the occupational safety side of it is not nearly as significant as the idea that of safety culture was really around significant high-consequence events. You, you'll hear him get into that, and that's a, that's a pretty important part of, of what we want to talk about and where we want to go. That, my friends, is a great podcast right there. That is a perfect way to spend some time. So let's get into it. You want to? I mean, I could talk longer. I, I could certainly go another 20 minutes on the uh, lobster roll if you need me to. But uh, I think I'm just kind of making you suffer. So without any further ado, Professor Mark Fleming, uh, mostly people call him Mark, from St. Mary's University on safety and culture on the Pre-Accident Podcast. So let's get started. So so uh, who are you in? And what's cool about you? <laughs> uh, well, my name is Mark Fleming. Uh, not that much cool about me. Pretty sad um, person. Been working in safety since the late ninety, early nineties, ninety three. Got first job in Robert Gordon's working uh, risk project uh, in the offshore oil and gas industry. And uh, basically, I've been working in sort of safe culture, safety climate uh, since then. Why safety culture, safety climate? Uh, why use both words or why work in it? Um, no, no, we can we can talk word. about both, but but the first question is is why work in it? Yeah, so from the beginning, um, really, what we were trying to understand, or I'm trying to understand, is you know better ways to help organizations improve safety, and and really coming from a sort of participative uh, perspective. Uh, where you want to engage employees in safety, it seemed like a good way to start would be to try and understand how they think safety is working out. Um, and, and that sort of broadly, at least, we're sort of thinking about uh, safety culture. Um, and so what this is 93, so the term safety uh, culture was sort of coined in 86, 87, and then really didn't become popular in the oil and gas industry until the Piper Alpha report, which came out in 1992, which identified safety culture as an issue in the disaster, which seven people died. Having done my undergrad in Aberdeen, you couldn't live in that city without having a sort of sense that safety um, and the offshore oil and gas industry and the tragedy that had occurred. So when I started working, you know, once I finished my undergrad in psych, I, you know, wanted to understand that better. And um, safety culture seemed to be the term that were willing sort of participate in and, and engage their employees in a conversation around safety. So that's sort of how we got into the sort of safety culture. How do you we we use? Yeah. Uh, how do you define the term safety culture? I mean, what what's your definition for safety culture? And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking that, but I'll wait until you answer the question. Yeah. Share perceptions, beliefs and attitudes that uh, employees have about risk. Um, and how that uh, influences what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So this notion of shared perceptions, beliefs, and attitudes, 
right? What worries me is that I'm seeing safety culture used kind of in a weaponized fashion as kind of an elaborate way to blame workers. What do you think about that? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, safety culture is sort of, so the term's been around since for 30, over 30 years now, but uh, what's happened, uh, probably particularly in the last 10 years in North America, has been to sort of turn it into a, a, a marketing ploy uh, by a whole range of, of people. People sort of have this sort of, uh, use the term uh, to describe anything to do with em, em, employee behavior, um, and therefore are using it in a way to say, look, you know, you don't have the right safety culture, buddy, and you need to get with the program, uh, which is uh, a crock. But that's, that's you know, the, the problem is what's written about safety culture is um, a little bit dense and not exactly, you know, easy to access. So there is a sort of a belief that safety culture is important, but I have no idea what safety culture is. So then someone comes and says, oh, it's this thing. And then, you know, if it suits, if it sort of fits with what you you think safety is about, then that really works well for you. So I think it's in uh, sort of stolen as a term and, uh, you know, it has, I think, to, to quote my PhD supervisor, Rona Flynn, um, uh, become a lazy catch-all for all sort of psychological aspects of safety. Which I agree. One of the things that concerns me, though, and I think about it a lot, Mark, is that it's also kind of detached organizationally, that the organization can believe they have a bad safety culture, which, which, which means that the leaders think they're okay but they think the safety culture for the workers is broken. And, and I find that, well, first of all, it's perplexing to me because uh, I'm a strong believer that culture simply exists. It just is. It's like air. And secondly, the fact that leaders can d- divide themselves from safety culture and then talk about safety culture really does kind of give the payoff that it's kind of this fancy pants way of saying if the workers cared more, tried harder, were smarter, more obedient, we'd have less failure. And and I think that's really an interesting hurdle to jump over. Yeah, and I, and I think um, we I try to sort of educate leaders about, um, and you know, uh, to a, to a certain extent, um, you know, I've seen leaders persist with that perspective, even though I have very clearly explained to them that they're completely wrong, and you know, I I think some of to do with a broader cultural issue um you know so so the issue uh is that um there's a a cultural belief um among you know particular types of 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 industries whereby say the the problem with safety is the employee and therefore they no matter how many times you can tell them something different they they still latch back on belief. So some of the work I've been trying to do more recently is, is rather than, you know, just simply criticize the leaders for being idiots, I've tried to understand, well, why, when when you have information which tells you this is not true, why do you persist to hold on to that belief? What, what are the values then and perspectives and experiences you're having that, you know, enable you to, to hold it that way? And, and that's, you know, that's something that I, th- I think is going to help to try things, right? How how do we change that perspective of leaders? Um, and it's a lot to do with the drivers um, that drive their behavior and why they view it as being an employee problem. Can safety culture be fixed? 
yeah i mean I, I don't know that i would i would look at it that way i mean i, I think that um organizations over time uh, uh and that's happening irrespective of of people actively trying to do something right um so can it get more positive yeah can they become more enlightened yes i think so um fixed i'm not sure that that's exactly how i would term it well so let me ask the opposite of that question can can organizational safety cultures be broken Yes, you know, definitely do a lot of harm, and you know, uh, you can you can you know see that where where um, uh, an organization can have a relatively you, you, so if it can exist if this can happen at different levels. So on one level, you can have a uh, organization where there's a relatively positive uh, collaborative relationship between employees and management around safety, where they they work together. Uh, a management style change where um, and, and ironically it's because in the in the manager's own mind they think safety is really important so they then start to become very punitive around safety and use it as a way to punish people and then that can turn what was you know at least a somewhat you know collaborative uh, culture into one which is uh, you know really by conflict so that's interesting. So, so the notion that you can do a cultural intervention, and and maybe we should define the notion of what an intervention is. So, an intervention is anything that that has the potential to change the current condition, right? I mean, that that's a fair definition. Yeah. I mean, you're a psychologist. Define intervention. Yep. You'll take that one. That's good enough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> it's my lucky day. Right. So, so like, like I think a lot about surveys and, and, and a lot of companies, a bunch of ones that are going to be listening to this podcast, do these cultural surveys. I see those as, as actually a pretty horrible intervention. What do you think about them? Right. Okay. Um, so doing a perception survey can be helpful. Right. So you can, you know, gain some insight into where employees are at around um, their perceptions, particularly around sort of management, management commitment and those sorts of things. And those serve, except would sort of say they're climate surveys, which are different from culture, from from sort of safety culture assessment. So a, a perception survey is really telling you employees perceived you know, the perceived priority uh, placed on safety, to what extent is safety prioritized over other competing demands, right? So that's that's using Zohar's definition of climate. Um, culture is a little, little bit deep that, where it's it's about some of our beliefs, and more importantly, what we mean by the term safety, right? You know, so safety is an abstract construct. It's not anything real. It's something we've made up. And oftentimes, safety can mean different things to different people. Um, so one of the, the risks around safety perception surveys is that uh, the term safety turns up all the time in them. And if when personal safety, then your rating of that um, might will be very influenced by how that how that sort of plays out. On the other hand, if you see safety in a broader sense and, and includes um, high hazard risks or low 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 uh, frequency high consequence events, then you might have a very different view. So. Um, Perception surveys on, on what you're asking, um, and they give you the if they're done well and it's a valid uh, design, can tell you the, about the relative priority that people perceive are being placed on on safety. Now, with that, it's it's their 
perception, right? And that's important. It's valuable information, but it's it, it can be influenced by a whole range of things. So when we started doing this, um, I was at a um, oil and gas company, offshore oil and gas company, and we've been we were feeding back results to them about their perception survey. So we had done a perception survey of their employees, and broadly speaking, you know, some positive things, but people were very critical, particularly of senior managers' commitment to safety. And I had a stand-up argument company where he said, how dare you come here and tell me that I'm not committed to safety? Who the hell do you think you are? Uh, and I said, oh, no, to be clear, that's not what I said. What I said was, please um, perceive that you're not, you're, you're not committed to safety. I neither know nor care whether you're committed. But what I am telling you is that their perception of your commitment is influencing their behavior. So I think you need to work on that. Anyway, it was a relatively short engagement, but <laughs> wow! So when you said you said I neither know nor care, which is brilliant. That's why I like you, Mark. That's brilliant. That that was interesting. But when you said the employee's perception was that he didn't care about their safety, that was pretty damning. I mean, that's that's pretty strong data. Yeah. So so in when it's negative like that, then then you can use it to improve, right? You can say that their perception. You right so that they understand you, you you are concerned and you want them to make the, the safer choice when they're faced with a dilemma you know when they have the dilemma i can do this I'll probably get away with it but if there's an increase in risk or i can wait um you know what's the choice i'm going to make and that you know employees are faced with that choice all the time and their freedom of how the rewards are recognized when they make either choice really matters so if I'm seen as someone who's a bit sort of weak, uh, if I sort of wait, may not even be directly punished. But if someone says, well, you're a bit of a waster and he's not really the guy you're going to go to when you've got a difficult job, then if the status and kudos goes to the people who get it done at all costs, then understandably more people they get rewarded for. So that perception is really important. Um, what's interesting as time has gone by is that companies have got very good at convincing employees, at least in some industries, that they are committed, right? You know, they sort of define safety slightly differently, but employees now, the perception scores will tend to be a bit higher in that. Um, although it tends to be around occupational safety, not the big major hazard risk stuff. Um, and I don't know if you've watched the movie on uh, Deepwater Horizon, but you definitely get that vibe that the employees on that rig were really concerned about occupational safety, right? Um, and it had sort of safety had become devoid from the actual safety. I think this idea is really interesting because because you've used this language a bunch in, just in our little talk this, this morning the difference between sort of occupational safety and actual high hazard safety. And you really did that Deepwater Horizon movie. You really saw that, that that was probably a rig that had very few slips, trips and falls and hand cuts and probably really good handrail use. So those cultural indicators would be pretty strong. But when it came to catastrophic failure, their systems were pretty brittle all the way around. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, you know, when when we started in this, right, so I got into safety because of Piper Alpha, which is a major hazard risk. The term safety culture came from who were working in this space to begin with. It never really occurred to us that people would be talking about occupational safety. It wasn't a big concern to begin with. It was we were we were really, you know, so so 
some of the stuff we were working on was risk perception and and understanding of major hazard risk. I mean, that's that's what we were trying to understand. Um, and it was only late people started to say, well, this could also be helpful for um, you know occupational safety. And actually, um, a lot of the work that Dove Zohar has done um, around sort of safety climate really sort of focuses in in on that sort of stuff and he can show you that employees perceptions of the relative importance of safety influences occupational safety and that's the outcome drivers that he did somehow from the sort of early 2000s onwards all of it got sucked into occupational safety and then when we had uh, texas city in 2006 and, and we were 2005, and then we had, um, uh, you know, Deepwater Horizon. The people started to come back and started calling this new thing process safety culture, which is not desperately helpful. Well, and um, and I watched that happen in the conference last week, the beautiful conference that you did, where they were talking about process safety culture, and I was I was horrified by that. I I don't I don't even know how to, to how to manage that information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I think that, um, you know, trying to get organizations to to understand, um, you know, the, the sort of complexity of safety culture is one of the challenges. It's not just about employee peace. It's about understanding the nature of risk um, and how we communicate about risk. So so what what do you see in the future, like with this whole safety culture idea? Because it's something you think about uh, for a living all the time. Where do you see the safety culture discussion the safety culture concepts moving from here forward yeah i mean i mean i suppose all i can say is where i want them to go right rather than where they will go i mean yeah. my 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 sense is to try to to um move organizations away from from relatively simplistic ways of understanding their culture uh, to doing something that's a little bit more sophisticated so at the moment my current sort of uh, Companies who go and do sort of every two or three years a uh, a perception survey of their employees, which they benchmark against other relevant peers, and you know, I I really have yet to see that provide any useful information for improvement. Uh, companies, a there's the range between companies is actually quite small. Quartile company is pretty tiny. But if you're in the top quartile, those companies do very little. To, it's very little moment, momentum for improvement. They just say, oh, we're great. Isn't that nice? And they put a report and pat themselves on the back and, and are very pleased. They, you know, if they're in the sort of bottom quartile, they tend to say, well, this is, you know, rubbish and didn't really tell us anything and we, we won't do this again. And, you know. And for those companies who are sort of in the middle, you know, they have a number of different approaches. Sometimes they say, oh, we'll need to do something. Um, and, and that something is often to re-educate the employees, which, again, is not desperately helpful. Um, and, and the way I like to think about safety culture, and it's not new to me, but I, I'm trying to promote it a bit more, is um, it's a reflection of yourself, to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And the quote that I like to use is uh, from Robbie Burns uh, in his poem, Ode to a Mouse. And, and it's, uh, oh, God, uh, give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us. Um, and in this poem, it's about this woman who's who's going to church. And she's very, you know, um, makes herself look lovely going to church to sort of feel superior to the other uh, churchgoers. And uh, she has this very fancy hat uh, that she wears when she's going to church. And in uh, in the church, Robert Burns is, is imagining watching her, and you can see this little mouse crawling around uh, her hat, uh, which obviously undermines uh, the whole. Uh, 
a very upstanding member of society because she's obviously got mice in her hat. And for me, the, the, the idea of trying to help companies is to help them see their safety systems for how they really are. I mean, it may be that their safety systems are working really well and that's great, or it could be that they're rotten and not working properly at all. And the only people who can tell them that are their and one of the really good ways of capturing that information is to do a more comprehensive uh, safety culture assessment that might include a perception survey, it will include focus groups, uh, observation and document analysis. And by bringing that together in a holistic sense, you can see yourself in a, in a much clearer light than you're currently able to see yourself. culture that's to amazing. be able to look critically at it. That's amazing. So that's, Le- what, that's where it, I'm trying to go with Leave it. it to a Scotsman to end his podcast interview with a quote from Robbie Byrne. I would expect <laughs> no less from you. So there you have it, the podcast that almost didn't exist. I should tell you what I mean by that. I lost this podcast on my computer and couldn't find it. And finally, I thought, maybe I didn't record it. Maybe, maybe it didn't happen. So I contacted Mark and said, hey, did we do a podcast or not? And he said, yeah, we did one. The Yeah, I did it in my office. So we arranged to do another one. I just thought, well, it's gone. And sure enough, no sooner than we got it arranged, I found it and listened to it again, and it's good. So I kept it. So that's where we are. Now, Mark, I don't think I, I did him justice. Mark is, a, is the CN professor of safety culture at St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And CN, I think, is Canadian National Railroad. I think. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what it stands for. And what Mark has done in Aberdeen, uh, all across England, uh, the UK, I should say, and uh, in Canada, is really focused specifically on safety culture. And I think he's an awfully good person to draw to. And he does this meeting. Um He's done it every couple of years. It's, it's probably one of the foremost safety culture meetings in the world. And he's kind of the honcho, the honchito of uh, how that meeting works. So that is, in fact, the podcast that almost did not exist, but now it does. And that's really what we wanted to talk about. I mean, that's that's kind of where it all heads and where it all goes. So that's it. So as always, um, have no fear. Be brave. When people beat you down, come back strong, teach well, and be courageous. It's an important time to be courageous. I feel it all the time. Uh, and I hope you get what you need. That's important as well. Until then, though, um, have as much fun as you can every single day. Learn something new. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Good goes around and around and around. Good goes around and around.